Welcome to the Kana Connection podcast. On today's podcast, it's a special Kana Esports edition where we're talking with Sari Keitlin from Full Sail University. Our host, Rob Cranston and Jack Murray, have some great questions for her. So without further ado, let's get into the show. Yeah, thanks, Koa. Good to see everybody today. Um, sorry, so, so great to see you. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we've got an exciting podcast here for our folks in the audience about um, a whole dynamic and, and continued momentum in the world of esports and e-gaming. And uh, we are just delighted to, sorry, to have you here. You are the director of esports uh, and project development at Full Sail University in Thank Orlando. Mm-hmm. Tell us all about that. Um, awesome. Well, for those that are not aware of Full Sail University, it's a university that specializes in degree programs in entertainment media, arts, and technology industries. Um, So all of our degree programs are really focused to supporting the entertainment industry. Um, It's definitely a hands-on project-based curriculum. We've been around for, I think, going on 45 years at this point. Um, And all of our degree programs do support some aspect of entertainment in that space. So going on uh, 30 plus years of degrees in game design and game development have made us uh, a landmark place for a ton of gamers to kind of come and earn their education. Um, and combining that with the fact that, you know, really the esports industry is an evolution of the entertainment industry. A lot of our grads had really started pursuing careers within that space. Uh, so combining those two things together um, as the esports space started taking off, it was a natural place for us to go. Um, I've been with Full Sail going on 16 years at this point. Um, and my background is in law and project development. So yeah. I always used to say, if there was something that the organization wants to do, but there's not strategy or resources or direction or anything associated with it, it would come to, you know, up to this point, my entire career has really been building these brand extensions and brand initiatives from the ground up. So everything from, um, bringing us to a full university status, which we pursued that in 2007, to bringing degree programs online and online education to really just the evolution of everything that's kind of being taught in this space. Um, My role at the organization has always been to develop those um, new avenues and new brand directions that we'd be going into. Uh, And starting in about 2015, that world was esports. You know, the concept of esports was already prevalent and people were competing themselves. But from the collegiate space, it wasn't really um, formal at this point. We had students all around the organization that were really playing other schools themselves and were really kind of getting that whole ball started. Um, But that was really it. So starting in 2015, uh, esports and kind of formalizing our esports efforts became the largest project I've taken over and had too good of a time to ever give it up. So this is where I've been for the last seven years, just really building evolving our full uh, all-encompassing esports program on campus. Sarah, you, I mean, what's so interesting, and I, and I was hearing this on your, some of your previous podcasts and just kind of getting the, the perspective of what, how the culture at Full Sail University and culture having this gaming culture. Talk us through, I mean, and, and within that becomes this esports program development and just all of that ecosystem inside that. That's crazy exciting. And I would imagine, uh, as my daughter grad is looking at colleges, and as we go look at colleges, we've seen a lot of e-gaming type of por- uh, portfolios that are being advertised. But you guys are really the first to start 
that portfolio of e-gaming as a curriculum, correct? Um, you know, there's quite a few universities that uh, helped pave the way before us and that are really doing things alongside us. Um, Shenandoah University is one that really came one of the first in creating that pioneer program. Um, and there's quite a few schools that kind of went into that formalized approach. Everybody is sort of taking it in their own distinct direction and the direction that works for us, for them, uh, for us in particular. Um, what we had noticed, we have our, our business degree program is an entertainment business degree focus um, for a business degree that's within the entertainment industry. And in that program and in that coursework, we had started to notice that of the capstone projects that students were um, choosing to pursue and go through within their education, we were at 30, 40 percent of them were esports based or gaming based. Um, and, you know, 10 years ago, those programs really seemed to be uh, film industry, music industry. So we started seeing the evolution within the student behavior in our existing programs. And at that point, it really helped us understand and solidify that where our students are coming from as far as where they're going in this space is from that business perspective. So when we were pursuing the curriculum focus, we really tried to take a couple of our existing programs that were already um, producing such successful graduates that were working in the esports space kind of brought them back in and just really evolved. So we took um, strategy from our entertainment business and sports marketing programs and then added an esports component to that. So they are getting a well-rounded business degree. It's in the business of gaming and esports. And so it really helps them understand the starts and stops of the nuances behind everything from team management, intellectual property events, how they can be run, um, building an ecosystem for coaching or or talent development, um, and especially in the world of content creation, talent management from that perspective, um, just the understanding of the well-rounded approach of what this is going to offer. So not necessarily a, here's everything esports, you come and you take this degree program and that's it, but a really good overview of what the industry looks like. So you can kind of get yourself situated and start figuring out which path you might want to go down. Oh, that's wonderful. And I, how do you, as a, as a body of educators, look at the curriculum and design that year to year to accommodate growth and esports. Um, so, yeah. So one of the great things that I love about um, our accreditation and the way that we're able to develop curriculum is our students are on an accelerated pace. So they're taking a class a month for 40 hours a week every month. They'll finish their, and, and they'll do two at a time usually. So they'll finish their full bachelor's degree in about two years um, because they're operating at an accelerated pace. What that allows us to do is stay completely and totally relevant with the, the industry as it stands currently. So we can update and modify curriculum from a month-to-month -month perspective as things in the industry are open or cleared or changing. As you guys know, within the esports space, um, it doesn't exist in this way where you can learn everything there is to know about esports and then go work in esports. You have to learn every day. You have to like reinvest yourself every day in learning what this is. And with the way our incredible education system is and our curriculum is built, as those things pivot and change, we can pivot and change right along with them. Um, and the great thing about it as well is as students graduate and the industry keeps changing and pivoting, um, they have unlimited audit privileges so they can come back and retake a class that they've taken anytime they want to for free. And so as like say there's you know a space that we're developing in now and the way the landscape looks a year from now might be different. That student has graduated, they can come back and retake a class to refresh themselves on what might be changing or updating within the industry. 
Yeah, and as part that is that is really fantastic, and part of that um, that continued development inside the ecosystem of the the industry itself, the esports, the gaming industry, is actually playing the games and competing and being into this dynamic situation sets that allow for teams to work together, individuals to get different metric sets that are they're built on gaming um, strategy. But I love the tabletop gaming perspective. And I part of what we do at Kena has us looking at, I think part of some of our work has been historically wargaming. So wargaming being tabletop exercise. So working through those scenario-based uh, outcomes in operations and logistics and you name it. Um, but for you guys, what is incredible, I want to get to is, is this thing called the fortress. And I think that world, right, creates that ecosystem. Again, I'm using ecosystem, but but those lanes of, of opportunity to really stretch in what industry best practices have, right? So tell us about the sure. Fortress. Yeah. Uh, sure. So the Orlando Health Fortress is uh, our on-campus esports arena. Um, currently, it is the largest esports arena on the college Amazing. campus in North yeah. America. Um, yeah. It is also uh, primarily a classroom. And so that's the thing that we always try to explain as people are coming in. Um, show production and touring and film programs are our bread and butter. It's kind of some of the oldest programs that we've had here. And that's what our students are learning to do. So by creating uh, an arena that reflects what you see in the real industry, as students are able to work on these to produce events and put on events while they're students, as they graduate, they've already worked in a space that they'll, that will be indicative of the Dream Hacks or PAX East or you know, anything big that you see that's out there, um, they're equipped and they're ready to roll to work in that space. Everything from our graphic design program for the LED um, uh, displays and everything that we have to OBS, graphic overlays, everything from film production, the entire front of house show production, and even just setting up and understanding how these events operate. So students from all programs get to kind of come together and work through those, whether they are internal events that we'll do for our community, um, which we do a bunch of those a year, or we have a, a, a lot of really great clients that will come in and hold their public events and our students get to work them. So our students are getting to graduate saying, I worked on the Red Bull Conquest you know, uh, event and I was in the lead TO for this and to be able to have that lets them go into that space or they've, they're working jib for huge events and being able to have that experience uh, is pretty phenomenal. And so for us, we use it in a multifaceted way primarily a classroom so students can really learn in that space. Then we do bring in client events that we'll work in partnership with to both put on their event and have our students get that kind of experience. Um, and then we also use it to host community activations, ways to bring our gaming community together and everything of the sort. And in each and every aspect, our students are getting that hands-on experience under the guidance of faculty that will also work in that space. Um, and a lot of our partners will bring in professionals that are working in that space that they can shadow and kind of work underneath. Um, and so it's really been awesome. We've had some really spectacular uh, events. A couple months ago, we were able to host the Special Olympics National Games, the first ever time they had esports um, associated with the National yes. Games. And cool. it's just awesome and heartwarming and incredible all around and just a really cool experience. Um, got to air on ESPN and have like, you know, give Rocket League the visibility that, you know, some of our more traditional sports might see. Um, and then again, our students were able to work the entire event start to finish. So 
We have casters uh, from the Dan Patrick School of Sports Casting, which we have on campus. Um, they're casting this event that's showing on ESPN, and they're able to get that visibility. Um, and, you know, they get full training and vetting. All cam ops were students. All TOs were students. Everybody setting up gameplay and game tech were students. And we even had students uh, for that event serving as unified partners. So um, to... Each team at Rocket League had two members with intellectual disabilities and one without that they played together on a team of three. And our students were able to represent as the unified partner for the uh, Special Olympics athletes and kind of help them navigate the tournament. And it, they had a great time. It was really, really great experience. Um, and we love being able to host things like that here in the space. We did a youth esports um really huge organization called XP League. They did their North American finals um, on campus, which allowed all of our students to work in everything uh, from, you know, the organization of the spot, a lot of observing, a lot of just general logistics and really just understanding how the space comes together. Um, and a lot of them are getting jobs out, out of these experiences that they've been able to have from our clients. So it's a really great program and it's a really great funnel that we have. Oh, what a great explanation. All right. So, I'm going to flip over some questions to my co-host, the great Jack Murray. Jackster, go ahead, buddy. Awesome. Thanks, Rob. And hey, Sari, it's great to see you again. And uh, we just want to congratulate you on joining the NACE Board of Directors recently. Uh, for those of you that don't know what that is, the NACE is the National Association of Collegiate Esports, basically the NCAA for esports. So um, although you just recently joined, uh, could you give us some insight on some of the barriers or obstacles that the NACE or collegiate esports in general is currently facing? Um, sure. There's, there's quite a few that are there that I think we're all kind of learning how to navigate together. Um, the biggest one that I think is the most difficult for folks coming into this space to understand is we're dealing with intellectual property that you're not dealing with in traditional sports. So for example, no one owns a basketball. No one owns a football. No one owns the game of football. So you can go in and you can play it anytime that you want to. Um, so what the regulation structure is really focused on is understanding how these schools can intersect and interact with the sport that exists. In esports, you have the intellectual property conversation that you, you don't see in traditional sports, which is someone owns all of the games that you are playing. So full ownership and full governance of all esports is not really uh, possible with the intellectual property conversation. So what I love that NACE does, um, and there's quite a few organizations out there that are really working hard to support collegiate sport collegiate esports, um, is NACE will work hand in hand with the publishers to get full buy-in and full support from Riot on hosting tournaments in their space from uh, Blizzard and hosting competition in that area. Um, and that's been great. That's been a lot of work on NACE's part. Um, and it is interesting because every publisher will handle things differently. So what NACE has really started, we, we joined NACE, I believe, in 2017, if I have that right. Um, and it's been a really, really great experience. I've met a lot of awesome people. Uh, and the great thing about it is that NACE is able to continue to evolve as these programs evolve. So at the beginning, a lot of what we're dealing with is what is esports? How do I even do this? Um, there was no real framework for how competitions are going to get run. And then as you slowly start moving things through, you go, okay, we can have a refined set of rules. We can have a refined set of infrastructure. We can create different paths for folks to be able to join and build up. So transitionally from being able to understand what other schools are doing, everyone is doing it different, their infrastructure sharing, 
uh, handbooks and rule sets. There are folks that um, have a strong grounding in traditional college sports and have things like athlete handbooks and media training and prep. This is our only sport. We This is our first time here. We don't have a department of athletics. This is not a place we would have ever been. And getting help from a lot of those schools has been awesome. Um, and, then, and then on the flip side, we come with the broadcast and production knowledge because that's our bread and butter and being able to share that with some of these other more traditional schools has really been great as well. Um, in general, just kind of watching the whole space grow has been phenomenal. Uh, last competitive season, 2021 to 2022 competitive season, we had about 700 different colleges competing against each other in NACE, um, which is crazy. They think it's like over 13,000 student athletes. So this is no longer new. Um, and now it's really just about refining it. So at the beginning, I think a lot of what we were going through was convincing people that this is legit and that this is a real space and this is where people want to be. Um, and honestly, trying to be more realistic about some of the numbers that are out there, the billion dollar industry and how much you're going to get in return because esports holistically is community based. So if you alienate your community at all, you're done. Um, and so it's understanding that getting that foundation, that's your audience, that's your community. If you do not connect with your community, you cannot be successful in this space. And really seeing a lot of people kind of wash away at the beginning that we're really trying to kind of jump in without really understanding what was happening. Um, and now over time, just seeing just a diverse representation of leaders in this space, of different types of schools in this space, of different types of students in this space, and kind of working together to figure out how to navigate those has really just been phenomenal. Um, I mean, I remember going to the first NACE conference and feeling a little isolated. Um, maybe one or two other women uh, there all together um, and feeling like we're in the double digits now and we're feeling really good is just a, a good notable recognition that we're pivoting and that we're changing and that there's something that's kind of coming to the surface for all marginalized communities within the esports space. Yeah, well, that's, I love how you brought up how many people are actually involved in it over 13,000 now. And you said that you brought up communities and alienating communities. And that's one of the things we're trying to work on here at Kano with esports is diversity and inclusion. And um, I love how you mentioned that you were just a couple of you were one of the couple women at the NACE conference at first, and now it's growing. But that again is one of the barriers right now within the whole esports industry. Women and femi identifying gamers are getting alienated from all different areas. That's why you see companies like the Game Hers pop up and Women in Games International. Um, so we're trying to support that effort as well. But we just wanted to get your thoughts on what is the level of representation of women in the esports program at Full Sail and the collegiate esports space as a whole right now, because we do know that is still an issue. Sure. Um, at Full Sail, we're actually very heavily women focused. Um, and by coincidence, not intention, I'm glad that it came out that way. Um, but we are very women led. Uh, we have women leading in every area from content creation, coaching, uh, athletes themselves, um, writing and editing and everything all behind the scenes work. Um, so women hold leadership positions at, for Full Sail Armada in the entire program, the management of the teams themselves, the varsity side of the program, content creation, editing, event production, 
um, directing, uh, everything in between. Um, and so we've been really proud of that. Full sales global demographics are not very women heavy. Um, and so to be able to be that representative is helpful. Um, this season, athlete wise, we're 10% women, which is actually an incredible success as bad as that sounds. So goal is to make that not a successful number in the future, but happy that that's where we are right now and feeling really good about that space. Um, globally and holistically, there are so many phenomenal women coaches and leaders within the esports space that I think are really underlooked and undervalued. Um, there are just phenomenal women out there that seem to always not always, seem to often be tapped into to talk about being a woman um, when really what they're doing is phenomenal. The one I always think of, she always comes to mind, is there's an amazing girl named Allison Stevenson. She served in the Air Force as like a huge um, like force in this space and also plays competitive Halo and is phenomenal and wins tournaments and saved our country and is a pioneer and awesome in this space. And I see so many people reach out to her to ask her tips for being a woman. And I think that's so great because I think they should, but really what should be happening is more girls should see someone like her and see themselves in this space. And that's really how it continues because we have seen, and all the studies have shown and all the numbers have shown that girls are gaming, women aren't. So how do we continue that transition from when they're kids and they're gaming? Why, why are they stopping? Is it because they're not seeing themselves because the environments are toxic? It's because they see their gamer tags or hear their voices and understand that they can, you know, push people around. Well, let's stop it. Um, and so there's a lot of people out there that have this focus on just like zero tolerance for toxic behavior. And that sounds really great in theory. But it doesn't work because if the, you have to educate people on what is happening in order to see progress, I'd like to think that the world is not full of misogynistic people. Are there some? Um, yes, but that's not what this is. I, I do think a lot of it is people don't realize what they're doing and they don't understand that what they're doing is creating this toxic environment. And so just kind of working together to try to explain and educate and mitigate and move forward through the behavior rather than just cut it off and you're done is really, I think, how we're going to have progress and how we're going to continue to make these spaces more more evolved so that the representation that we're seeing is the representation of the people that are actually in the space and doing it. Well, that's a great answer. And uh, you mentioned that they want to see other women in those leadership roles. And I'm very happy that Full Sail has all that. It's amazing to hear. Um, but you mentioned how it's all fragmented right now from the girls going to professional and there's really no esports in general doesn't have a specific pathway to pro as traditional sports have, but it's even harder for the girls and the femi identifying gamers for it, even though they represent almost 48% of all gamers, but they don't have to go into professional gameplay. They could go into jobs and that's exactly what full is doing. And I am very happy to hear that again, but what I'm trying to get at here is that, there's no, there's recruitment platforms out there for esports, yes, but um, you mentioned toxicity, and that drives a lot of women away from these recruitment platforms, or they're just intimidated by seeing two out of 500 people on the platform being women or girls. So is there value, in your opinion, is there value added in having an esports job and player recruitment platform exclusively for women, a community for women only? 
Um, I would think there are a lot of marginalized groups that are experiencing what women are experiencing. So I think the concept is really good, but we do need to expand beyond women. Um, there's a severe lack of black and people of color uh, content creators. You just don't see them. They don't get as much recognition on Twitch. They don't get as much um, notability or notoriety on what it is that they're doing. And there, sh there should be no reason for that. Um, and I think we see that in a, in, in a lot of different communities. So globally, I think, yes, there should be better support for all marginalized voices, including women, but I, we can't stop at women, especially the transgender community is dealing with it the worst, quite frankly, right now. And as being in the collegiate space, it's something that you really have to work hard to protect because as you know, someone leaves from home and is able to start in it college and they move away and they're like, this is what I want to do. And this is where I want to be. And this is my life. They, they can finally be themselves for the first time ever. You know, they're able to really start over and embrace who they are. Um, and I know for a lot of us in the esports, we're not necessarily trained in how to help manage that, but in the esports space, we're seeing a lot of folks that are transitioning during it and they're struggling with things like um, their voice not matching their appearance when they're going through the transition and they're getting bullied for things like that. Um, and so globally, it's understanding and supporting all marginalized communities. It's knowing that women means all women. That includes anybody that identifies as a woman, women of color, women that are in this space, all supporting women. People of color includes all people of color, no matter what gender that they uh, align with and where they identify, all people of color. And so it's globally trying to um, open up the marginalized groups that we can all come together to support each other rather than really trying to break off what these are. I do think a lot of it is great. Creating safe spaces is a really great and um, positive thing for groups, for women. We've seen it a lot. There just has to be an afterthought. So you've created the safe space and now what? Because eventually we got to go back into general population and how are we going to be able to survive? So as long as these safe spaces and these safe opportunities and these safe communities are giving people the guidance that they need to continue through the industry, then we'll start seeing progress in the industry as well. That, that's just an amazing answer. And I mean, you see... You mentioned that education as well in safe spaces, education on these safe spaces, not just blocking out zero tolerance because they don't learn. They, they can't learn that way. So one more question before I pass it over to pass it back over to Rob is that we know that education, like you just mentioned, and education within esports is such a huge barrier in itself. Everybody's still learning. We need to learn every day, like you mentioned earlier in the podcast. It's not something that you can just teach and then throw them out in the world. It's always evolving. And um, we also noticed your work with COPE, the Coalition of Parents in Esports, such an amazing industry there if anybody wants to go look them up and learn more about them. Um, but in what way, with your knowledge of the industry and work with COPE, can more data and data analytics help support the effort to increase and enhance the education on esports? Oh, that a tremendous amount. Um, I would lo absolutely love, and I think the entire industry needs more insight and focus in the analytics um, perspective. We are built on a foundation of people's opinions. And that is sweet. But <laughs> in, in a certain point, in order for the industry itself to grow, for people to evolve and for your programs to evolve, understanding the inner workings of, of people, gameplay, mindset, eye tracking, behaviors, gameplay is, is the only way that this grows upwards from being 
at the awesome grassroots place that it is, you can't live in grassroots forever. Um, and having a real understanding of the audience that you're talking to and what it is that they're doing and their behaviors is how you can proceed. And that I think is one of the biggest um, holes in the esports space right now is really understanding behaviors and being able to put research to support those behaviors. Um, again, I, you know, the industry itself, I still, I don't like to call it new and a lot of people call it new, but I feel like it's been around for a while, but in its formal state, it's less than 10 years old from a formal perspective. And that means that there is not a single one of us that are working in esports that is well-trained and well-educated to do exactly what we're doing because we don't even know what that is yet. Um, and so the more that we can learn and understand, the better that everything works for our community and for the folks that are trying to get in to this space and into this community. Um, it's, you know, in general, even taking a step back from esports, user generated content, content creation has replaced traditional advertising in a lot of senses. Um, you will hear more about something Tom Brady tweeted than you will about buying Gillette razors because that's what he bought them. And so that is globally how we are shifting focus. So traditional advertisers or people from the traditional space that are coming in here, embracing the content creation perspective and understanding it um, is key to get to your audience. You can't get to them anymore in the traditional routes that one might have got to them. And esports is that way. Um, you have to know how to access your audience and understanding your community is how you do that. And the more data and insight you have to your community, the more successful that you'll be. That's that's another amazing response there. And one of the things that's going on in esports right now is the lack of data accessibility. I know that's a huge issue sometimes uh, with game developers themselves or just certain organizations. It's like you said, everything's intellectual property. So it's all owned by somebody. You got to get approval there, but uh, I'll pass it back over to Rob to finish off some questions here. But uh, yeah, thank you so much. You know, and what I'm thinking is, um, boy, what, what an opportunity to use the fortress as a way, as a continued model, uh, or what would be perhaps a, a partnership um, in building to maybe, you know, where the formation of information and analytics and applied analytics inside that, that event is just that it's the, it's the focus. Now you can say, well, what does that mean? And how are the business rules or the gaming rules set up around that? But, um, what we're seeing and, and Sarah, what I've seen is you got a lot of start again, in the venture space, a lot of startups that are, you know, that have got, again, beautiful, wonderful ideas. They've got these these fundamental um, connectors and or technologies within that they're building to. Um, but but what they lose focus on is their solvency, right? And I my concern for the industry continues to be making sure that, uh, not necessarily making sure, it's just that risk. So in that risk, it's mm -hmm. how many are really funded and are they funded by whom and what population? And is that concentration and focus on them to grow? Um, and, and we knew the upside, you know, billions of dollars of upside opportunity, right? So, um, but partnerships and getting into partnerships, um, sorry, is, is like that to me continues to be that method of funding. And uh, so let me ask you the question of, inside the full sale partnership model with companies like Kena, 
how do you guys build upon that? Because that gets into the platforms, perhaps, of then those that are looking at at opportunity jobs. Sure. Yeah. Um, so for us, it's interesting because um, you're spot on with the way you know these these startups are working and how their capital. It just it there are so many folks that come come in hot, burn through all their capital haven't really established any sort of connection with their audience and then they're done. And we keep seeing it all the time. We see it in collegiate even as well as like people get capital. They're like, I've decided to start a thing, but nobody's paying attention. You spent all your money. You have no revenue coming back to you because you've built no model that incorporates revenue. And then they'll, they'll try to like charge $5,000 to enter into a tournament. And you're like, and you lost it. And that you're out, you know? Um, and so that is interesting. We get, a ton of, um, you know, outreach from different organizations that a lot that are trying to break into esports. Um, and honestly, the biggest turnoff for me when I hear those folks is right away, I can always tell whether they know or whether they don't. If someone tries to pitch me on the value of esports, I'm out because that means you didn't even Google anything or even look at all in the right way. We are past the point of being able if you're trying to get into the esports industry, we are past the point of you being able to identify up and coming possibilities as a sales tactic. You're you're seven years ago at this point and a little bit too late. Um, so for us, what we look at for partnerships is our constant connection to improving industry-wide. If there's something that we can contribute to or connect to that can help really make an impact and improvement industry-wide, that's what we focus on. We don't necessarily focus specifically on collegiate partnerships or partnerships specifically for our teams because for us and our program and all programs are different. Once students graduate, they're likely ending their professional esports career. Um, and so all of the work that we would do with the athletes themselves that contribute back into the collegiate gameplay, our students don't necessarily get to benefit from it. And the industry itself is not necessarily getting to benefit from it. So we always try to have something that can kind of come in line with things moving forward. So example is we have a partnership with Orlando Health, which is a, a main, major hospital chain locally to our area. Um, they're the naming rights sponsor of our arena and put together, give an incredible program for our students. So what they have done as part of the partnership is um, facilitated a way that our esports athletes can join into um, the same program that they have for Orlando City Soccer and UCF's football team and um, any of these aspects. And they'll evaluate from like a physiological perspective how, folk, how students are doing in peak performance, what they can do to kind of maintain um, – Orlando, uh, the Orlando Ballet is goes through the same program that our gaming athletes will go through, which is really, really cool because it allows students to understand a baseline of, okay, I'm feeling really good. Now I want to improve. How do I do that? Um, and they work on everything from wellness behavior and, you know, process and the details of like hold, how you hold a controller and better grips for sports medicine. Um, but that's something that being able to participate in it doesn't just affect the now, it affects the future. And that's really what the focus is for us. So we have a UX lab on campus that's actually it's next door to the fortress. Um, and we have an amazing um, 
the guy that oversees it is Dr. Sean Stafford and he's amazing. And he's worked with us a ton during like, we did eye tracking during tryouts just to kind of like, he wanted to start seeing something and seeing if it could come about. Um, he's trying to work on something that's got like wearable technology and how that can really help support what athletes are doing moving forward. Um, so holistically would love to just get a little bit further into that of being able to leverage what we're doing to something that can improve the industry and help those coming behind us, especially if it helps the scholastic space, the K through 12 space would love to be able to join and support in any aspect there. Um, but that's really for us is we're not a lot of, again, every program is different for us. We're not looking for the um, type of research that we can apply immediately to our competitive teams. We're looking for being able to be involved in something that will kind of push the industry itself forward, the knowledge that we can receive that can then go back into the space to continue to improve it. Fantastic. For those out there, that's Sari Keitlin. And I tell you what, we, thank goodness we have leaders like you that are in the industry pushing us forward. And I, I can't wait for those out there and for us, especially, we, we look forward to maybe being a, a member and, and, and get invited down to the fortress, check it out and uh, be part of a next, maybe a tournament. Um, but uh, this is so fantastic to have you on excellent, excellent discussion across the board. We want to have you back and, you know, we can get into some other um uh, agenda items, but I think in general, uh, what a, what, gosh, what a, again, a culture you've been building at Full Sail and uh, congratulations on that. Well, thank you so much. We would love to have you guys come and visit. It's really nice, especially like in the winter when you're like tired of the weather, just come see us. It's a really <laughs> good time to come to Orlando. We've got a lot going on. We'd love to just kind of show you around and see what more we can do together. I, truly, we are going to come down. Jack, we, we got to get down there and subject to your availability. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. We can like kind of throw on some dates and figure it all out on the back end. Sure. We'd love to bring you down. I can even uh, introduce you to Sean at the UX lab as well. I know he'd probably be super happy to meet you guys and really uh, go for that. that. Mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the things that we love to, when we get, if, you know, as we kind of, when we get down there and talk about is this world of um, how we're, we want to bring eSport education and then jobs works into the dynamic of smart cities and how that ecosystem works and, and just just information and educational platforms that are available. That's cool. Uh, and uh, we're doing that in San Diego. Um, we're, not, we're, we're building actually to the EV infrastructure. For, we're, we're designing that first and that uh, space of unmanned system movement of things. But, um, but we wanna bring this platform into the, the, the discussion and then where it fits. Sure, that yeah. makes sense. That's awesome. That uh, one last thing. Uh, where can people reach you? Oh, um, I'm super active on LinkedIn. Just look me up, Sari Keitlin. Um, I'm also on Twitter, but it's really just a lot of tweets about random things my eight-year-old says that kind of blow people's minds. But you can still find me. It's S M as in Mary, A-N-K-U-T-A on Twitter. Um, and you can always uh, find Full Cell Armada on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Full Cell Armada. See all the action and what we're doing. Awesome. Thank you very much. All right. A big thanks goes out to Sari Keitlin, uh, Rob Cranston, and Jack Murray for being on this episode. If you are interested in additional episodes of the Kena Connection podcast, head on over to our website at kenaLLC.com. You can also find our podcast on our YouTube channel and most of the streaming podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the others. Uh, Spotify, not to name just a few, but 
This is Koa reminding you to analyze, assess, and execute, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>